Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson, and welcome to my podcast. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity and the Menopause Support App called Balance. On the podcast, I will be joined each week by an exciting guest to help provide evidence-based information and advice about both the perimenopause and the menopause. So today with me, I've got a somebody who reached out to me, like a lot of people do, online, and she hadn't really thought about the menopause for a long time, but she is a medical professional, and she's actually a psychiatrist, and we're going to talk about how her eyes have been opened to the world of the perimenopause and menopause. So, Devika, thanks ever so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on the podcast. So I was doing, was it me that was doing a, a webinar? Yeah. And your husband is a GP, isn't he? That's and right, I yeah. think you weren't really, it wasn't on your radar, but he was listening to and you started to listen and you had this light bulb moment, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was an evening webinar that you were doing. It was during COVID lockdown. So we were doing all these kind of online learning sessions in the evening. It was quite the thing then. I was literally eating my dinner. It was there in the background. He was watching and kind of 10 minutes in, you were talking about particular patients that were coming with lots of antidepressants and different medication, nothing working, and then thinking about the symptoms in terms of menopause. And it really clicked for me at that point. I had so many patients that I had seen throughout my training kind of come to mind thinking, oh my God, did I miss something there? Was that actually the menopause I should have been treating? And since then, it has really changed how I practice and how I think about women in a more holistic manner. And definitely considering menopause their hormones in every single consultation that I do now which is amazing I love it I love hearing stories like this and you know it's very true because I think for many years and it still is actually menopause is thought as a women's health specialty and I was actually talking to the organization of conferences and events for the Royal Society of Medicine which, yes. of which I'm a member and she said oh which category did you tick because there's lots of categories you yeah. know are you interested in heart disease diabetes mental health pharmacology da, da, da. actually I can tick all of them of because course. menopause is across every single thing and I said well you're only allowed to tick a maximum of I think it was four or five yeah so I ended up leaving it blank so she is changing that <laughs> but she said well we can do a women's health event I said no it's not women's health actually because women's health is often gynecology so it's contraception yeah. and endometriosis very very important but actually it was only when I started my clinic where I just dedicated obviously my life to menopause mm-hmm. and hearing stories time and time and time again where women say to me oh yes, I have 30 hot flushes a day, but it doesn't matter. I, I've got a bag full of clothes. I just change all the time in the toilets at work. But what really affects me is my mood. I'm not interested in things. I'm just existing. I'm not living. My zest for life has gone. I have no appetite for any enjoyment. I stop going out. I stop seeing friends. I'm a shell of what I used to be and I don't know what's happening to me. Yes. And all these words are really strong. And then I look at how do we diagnose clinical depression? And in general practice, you know, we fill out these questionnaires, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm-hmm. And every single practically perimenopausal menopausal woman would actually fulfill the criteria for being either mildly or moderately or some severely depressed. Yes. So I can see why people have been given antidepressants, but then I also have done enough psychiatry to know that there are differences. So a lot of the women have really good eye contact. They often yeah. really present themselves very well. 
And they've got really good insight. They say, this isn't me. Mm -hmm. This is not me. I'm scared of the way I'm feeling. I'm scared of these intrusive thoughts. I don't want to act on them. I don't want to harm myself, but I'm just overwhelmed. And when I was doing psychiatry, and you'll tell me whether I'm right or wrong, but there are a lot of people with severe clinical depression. They really don't care what they look like. They yeah. have no insight at all. So it is quite subtle. On paper, yes. it's exactly the same, yes. isn't it? But I mean, what's your experience as a psychiatrist now you've picked up on the menopause? Yeah, so I'll kind of take you through a journey of how I mm. thought about using the knowledge I had learned in practice. Of course, the main thing that I was doing was kind of listening to your podcast, accessing your educational material, but it wasn't anything formal. I wasn't taught by a psychiatrist how to kind of deal with this. So I kind of had to find my own path. So initially I got very excited by it and every patient I saw above the age of 40 that told me they didn't have periods I was like this is the menopause they don't need to be seen by me it's the menopause and actually when I kind of spoke to them about it in that manner that was actually very invalidating for them because they had waited so long to be referred to me and what they wanted from me was a diagnosis and then some medication they'd already tried some stuff with their GP hadn't worked so I was there to give them the strongest stuff so I realized that approach was the wrong way and rather than thinking of it as it's either menopause or depression. Just understanding I need to see my patient in a very holistic manner. I need to be open to the idea that there are possibly menopausal symptoms that are impacting on the depression, or it could actually be a depression mimicking a menopause. And when I started thinking about it in that way, rather than trying to be too rigid, working out which one it was, I was able to give my patients better care. So what I do now is I'll start having the conversation about periods, menstrual cycles, try to get their understanding of what they think is happening, try to get an understanding if they've heard of the perimenopause or menopause. And I'm dealing more with the perimenopause I found because people when I ask them about the periods then they'll be like oh actually yeah I have noticed a difference but before they've been asked they've not really noticed that their changes in mood have also been linked to changes in periods so I'm trying to get the answers out of them and tease out what's happening and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll decide okay we're going to treat it as if it's a depression or anxiety and we're going to go for this. But there's also going to be a point where we're going to stop and have to review the diagnosis. But at the same time, I want you to speak to your GP, download the balance app. I give them leaflet that you've also produced, which is really, really helpful, which gets them to see that actually brain fog, poor memory, low mood, all these things, there's so many similarities between the depression and the perimenopause or menopause. And that way I'm equipping them with the knowledge. They can go back to their GP and see whether they need to start HRT or optimize their treatment already. And they can also be given the mental health support alongside it. And I found that approach works much better. And I'm working... And is that helping? It definitely is, because when I first started with telling patients it was just all the menopause, it was not the right approach, obviously. But now what I have is patients coming back to me saying, thank you for that, because it has helped how I'm feeling. And that's all I need, even if it's helping just 20%, 30%. It's not about finding the one cure. In psychiatry, we always think about things in a holistic manner. But somewhere along the line, menopause has been forgotten and the impact of hormones on mental health has been totally forgotten. It's amazing, isn't it? Because certainly a lot of people out there, and I probably know have a lot of sort of haters and bullies, and they think all I want to do is prescribe HRT and give HRT to everyone. But actually... It's not just HRT. It's about our mental health, our physical health, yes. our well-being, yes. what we eat, how we sleep, how we exercise, how we look after ourselves. And, you know, the mental impact of everything we do, you know, has a yes. massive, massive effect. I mean, I I do Ashtanga yoga regularly. Mm-hmm. And I was saying to my yoga teacher last week, actually, 
I really wonder what I would be like if I didn't do yoga and yes. not physically, but mentally, because yes. I know my brain would be scrambled. Yoga gives me a lot of mental power really to compartmentalize what I'm doing to focus on the here and now and to not sensationalize and get too worried about things and mm. you know this is amazing ability but that's not the HRT that's not what I eat that's I know it's yoga does a massive things to me mm. and but that's my choice and that's fine I've been educated I can choose and a lot of my friends go running outside love mm. it great mm. But actually, you're absolutely right. It's just this missing bit, and it's almost like it's a white elephant, and people are scared. And then when I talk to people, they say, but how do you know you're not missing depression? And well, actually, for me in the clinic, it's easy, because a lot of women have been on three, four, five different antidepressants, tell me they don't work. But actually, there are also a lot of women that do have clinical depression, and are also perimenopausal and menopausal. And it's quite fine to treat with hormones and with yes. HRT. And when I've spoken to other psychiatrists, I said, well, if someone had an underactive thyroid gland and they were feeling very low and flat and not much energy, would you just concentrate on their depression? Mm-hmm. Well, of course we wouldn't. We would consider thyroxine. And it's the same, isn't it? It is. And I use the analogy of pain as well. So if someone yeah. comes to me because they're depressed because they have pain, their pain also needs to be treated. I can't just throw antidepressants. Yes, I understand they are clinically depressed, but we have to look at what might be causing that. And that kind of interplay between the menopause and mental health is so messy. We cannot ever be able to say 100% this is only menopause, 100% this is only depression, because the menopause can cause you to become depressed or you may be just depressed. It could be any combination of those. And we don't have to come to a certain answer like you've said and you can always do a trial of HRT see how the patient gets on the truth is that's what we do with antidepressants when you look at the guidelines it says trial of antidepressants so you are trying it to see if there is any impact and if you don't see impact you're changing well that's the same way that we should approach HRT alongside our treatment too yeah it's so important is it when I first qualified as a doctor we didn't have the luxury of the newer antidepressants um because I'm quite old I'm older than you clearly and so a lot of it we gave dithiapine and even amitriptyline and they have quite a lot of side effects and one of my consultants actually used to prescribe a lot of dithiapine to Mm. patients we did a lot of rheumatology thinking back I cringe actually because a lot of these people were low in their mood they had muscle pains joint pains a lot of them had lupus actually and he would Mm. always prescribe dithiapine and they'd often come back feeling better but they had these horrendous side effects and then I remember when Prozac was a big thing great but a lot of people found they were very anxious and became more anxious and hypervigilant so then we had paroxetine which we don't prescribe as much now but sertraline and then we had venlafaxine so these drugs are getting better with less side effects so I think that makes them easier to prescribe because they're better tolerated and Mm -hmm. and like you say people either come back and say I feel so much better or they don't in which case you do sometimes change or reconsider the diagnosis but then some of the drugs that are used in psychiatry actually switch off hormones as well don't they so if they weren't perimenopausal or menopausal beforehand they will be after three to six months of some of your drugs won't they yeah that's really important to know so any of the antipsychotics we use can increase the levels of prolactin and that can stop your periods so we're inducing that as well and it was really silly that I hadn't thought about 
that impact before. Like I think about it as, okay, we, we, you don't have periods anymore. We're going to measure your prolactin. But I never thought about how that can have a negative impact on mood. I thought about it purely from the physical health point of view. Yes. So, Well, I didn't either until literally a few years ago. So I remember working, I worked in style prison, a female prison, and mm-hmm. a lot of those women are on antipsychotics, yeah. various medication. And a lot of people have such low mood but they also they put on weight a lot of people do their cholesterols because their cholesterol levels can raise and we sort of talk don't we often about burnt out sort of you know depression but actually Mm -hmm. I look at these people you think well they must have all been menopausal and we know cholesterol goes up when women are menopausal we know blood pressure goes up we know weight goes up we know addictive behavior goes up and a lot of these people smoke a lot and then they smoke even more and that's obviously compounding their cardiovascular health and I think gosh I'd never even given them any hormones didn't even cross my mind and a lot of people measure prolactin levels but then they don't think about estrogen but also testosterone and it's a sort of medical castration, really, that's happening to women, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And just talking about kind of um, women and thinking about them as different, not just small men, mm. in psychiatry, I still think that we're behind. So finally, people are thinking about how women may need some extra support or a separate service. So perinatal services have emerged in the, like, the last five to eight years, which is brilliant. So it's looking at, actually, hormones are going to be massively different during pregnancy and someone with a pre-existing mental health condition or may develop something during that time. So we need a specialist service for it. And the more I think about it, I think we need specialist services at the other two transition points, puberty and the menopause, just to make sure that we're looking at it carefully and think about. There just needs to be more research and more services into that area to think, how do we manage this as something separate? Because it is, there's an extra factor that's added in, not just your male counterpart. I totally, totally agree. And I think the whole reproductive depression is a really, really, John Studd has spoken about this for many years. He sadly died now. He's a professor of gynecology. And It's really, really important because, like you say, mental health, well, even in adolescence, we always blame their hormones. But of course, we probably should because they're changing all the time. But then postnatal depression, you know, we know women go from having levels of 10, 20,000 of estradiol to nothing overnight. Mm. And then it's never given, hormones are never given back. There's a great units, like you say, and they're giving heavy duty drugs, but actually no one's giving them a bit of hormones. And then I read a paper this morning about treatment of, PMS, premenstrual syndrome or PMD day. And they're saying, oh, just give short amounts of antidepressants for a few days. Work really well, a lot safer than longer term, you know, everyday antidepressants. No mention in that paper, nothing about estrogen. And, you know, we see a lot of women and I don't know whether it's PMS or perimenopause because they're in their mid, late 40s. They're still having periods, but the few days before they get this Mm -hmm. dip. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. The cause of their symptoms is usually this dip in hormones. So you can just top it up with some hormones. And it's much better to treat the underlying cause in medicine, isn't it, than put a sticking plaster on. Exactly. And with psychiatrists, we're using kind of two medications, antidepressants, antipsychotics mainly. And then we have our as required medication, sleep tablets, benzodiazepines. But I really think it's time that we are adding more things to our repertoire and hormones seems to be something that can help, especially for women's mental health. Talking about things like PMDD, there's also 
it can get as severe as having psychotic episodes mm. during um, menstruation. And I've seen one case of that in my training so far. It's quite rare. But again, because it's rare, there's hardly any research done into it. There's yes. one really good professor in Brockington who actually was the leader in getting mother and baby units set up and really looking into women's mental health. And that was in the 1980s, 1990s. We're kind of 30 years on and it doesn't seem to have really moved anywhere. <laughs> And I feel the menopause, that's the biggest change that has happened really for women's health, if we look at the last kind of two decades. But it's still, we've got a long way to go, as you know. I agree. You know, I feel like I'm starting what we're doing. And in fact, someone came and spoke to my school. So this was in the 80s. And she came and spoke about her work. And she was a doctor. She's now sadly died. She retired soon after. So this was in the 80s. She must have been a about 60 odd then Mm -hmm. and she was talking about hormonal variations that occur she was talking a lot about progesterone but she was saying the natural progesterone so this is the body identical progesterone so not the synthetic progesterones have a really good calming effect on the brain Mm -hmm. and how they should be considered for postnatal depression and also for pms and the menopause bit she mentioned about estrogen but I was looking at her wikipedia recently and it's all there but everyone ignored it because she was a bit of a crazy woman and why Mm. would you believe women Mm. in the 80s who were in their field and I thought goodness me I don't want to go to my grave and not had any made any advance she must have been as frustrated as I am and so but I think it's about how we train and educate and help psychiatrists and I'm very grateful because you invited me to give a presentation didn't you do you want to talk yes yes so as soon as I'd connected with you and it was over kind of Instagram and then you very kindly called me and I had a discussion and I actually until then I I knew that the menopause was impacting mental health but when you discussed a few cases I realized kind of how severe that impact was so then I kind of my my brain switched on I was like okay I need to get Louise in to speak to the rest of psychiatrists because I was kind of talking to my colleagues but I was like the impact needs to be greater than this. So I found my way onto a organising committee for a small conference that we do in the West Midlands. And you were luckily free for that date. So you came to speak to us. And there was about just under 200 people that had signed up. And during your talk, we had 100 people live. And you were the first speaker to open the conference. And It was a virtual conference, but there was so much interaction. The chat was constantly throughout when you were speaking. There was an amazing question answer session, which not only did people ask about, well, how do I manage this? How do I treat it? Or yes, I see this in my practice. It was psychiatrists talking about their own experiences and sharing tips like, well, if you want this, you should try this way. I've tried this and even asking you, well, I want to get access to this. How do I get around this? Or is there a loophole through this? So I'll be honest with you when I, the day before I was getting a bit worried and I spoke to my husband and I was like, I'm I'm not sure if people are just going to say like, why did you bring this GP to speak to us about mental health? We know what we're doing. And I was really worried about how it would be received. But my husband said, look, if you think that it's useful, I'm sure even a small percentage of your colleagues will find it useful. And that's all you need to do to have an impact for your patients. So I thought, okay, well, it's all organized now. We'll see how it goes. And it was 
even better than I had imagined. And actually, it's been a month since that conference. And I still, when I bump into colleagues, they're telling me how great it was. And I've had some really good uh, kind of just people telling me about scenarios where they've considered the menopause. So one of the most acute assessments that I will do as a psychiatrist is a mental health act assessment. And in that, we're considering where we're going to section a patient, they need to come into hospital, or we need to do something quite urgently because they're quite unwell. And one of the doctors that had come had mentioned in this assessment, which usually happens in A&E or patients on home, about their periods and their menopause, just showing how important it is that we talk about it at every point of care, whether it's the first assessment, it's in an emergency, because we don't know when it's going to be important to the patient's care. So it's just something that we should just get into our kind of usual questioning. So yeah, that was really great. And I think there's been a lot more appetite for it. People are considering it. And I, I do hope that we can continue sharing and spreading the message amongst psychiatrists because like you said education is the first step in awareness it absolutely is and it was really I mean I was equally as nervous as you the day before (laughs) thinking well I'm a crazy menopausal woman who's a GP why are they going to listen and you know we have spoken to all sorts of academic psychiatrists Mm. and haven't been taken seriously as you know and so I loved it because it, I didn't enjoy it because it was through teams um it's so much nicer to do it in real life but you could feel the questions and the energy and and it wasn't just about their patients it was about them but then I also afterwards as I often do with these events reflect and feel very very sad and thinking Mm. our own profession is being let down would it be that there was another condition the only thing I think about that's similar-ish is migraine actually because that's Mm -hmm. really badly managed for so many women and I suppose I'm more in tune because I have migraines my daughter has debilitating migraines Mm -hmm. but most other things I think people can access you know if you're in pain like you say or if you've got arthritis or if you've got a heart defect or if you've got palpitations if you've got bladder problems there's somebody somewhere that you generally could get a first level advice Mm -hmm. obviously We always often, if we're struggling, go and see another specialist or someone at a teaching hospital to get really top of the range advice. But I can't think of anywhere where healthcare professionals are struggling. You know, I always think the advantage of being a healthcare professional, there's not many, but one of them is that you always know the best person to get advice from. So if my children have been ill or my husband or when I had pancreatitis and was struggling, I I can pick up the phone and speak to somebody. Whereas actually, even with my own menopause, I only had one person in the country that could help me six years ago and that was a struggle to get to speak to him so that's wrong isn't it you know we've got to look after our own and I think for um I'm not being sexist in any way but for men to be in that webinar and see the comments Mm. that women were making that were their equals help to just bring it home to be like this isn't a them and us situation like there's someone that doesn't know about menopause and that's why they're struggling these are highly educated professional psychiatrists that are Mm. know what's going on and still unable to get the support and help that they need so it just paints the picture of how difficult it must be for that person that has no idea they are just going to their GP they're getting referred to us and they may not even think about the menopause or perimenopause and that's where we come in we have 30 minutes 60 minute appointments we have the luxury of time compared to Mm. GPs so we should really use that appointment I can spend five minutes talking about menopause and that is all I need to drop them the information they need, tell them a little about it, find out what their understanding is and give them some reading material. And that is nothing in the grand scheme of things. And that's pivotal actually because everyone's pushed for time, aren't they? Healthcare professionals really push for time. But I think actually if we can enable people to just 
plant the seed. So even rather than doing very technical, detailed questionnaires, I often think if as healthcare professionals, we just say whatever specialty we're in, we say to a woman, could it be your hormones? Do you think it could be your hormones? 80% of the time, you'll get the answer from the patient. And then it's, you know, as you know, one of the reasons I've developed the app is so that people can just do it in their own time. They're not taking anybody's time. You don't want to be sitting down, going through every single minutial point or giving a questionnaire and filling it out with them. Just let them do the homework. And I think when women are empowered, even women that have mental health issues, they're still able to use their brain because they want to get better. And if they can't, then they usually have a friend or a carer or, you know, you work obviously with nurses and Mm -hmm, nurse assistants mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. anybody would be able to help. And some of the work I've done actually since the webinar is some psychiatrists and some other healthcare professionals have reached out and they've just realized it's them as well. And actually I find like myself, I'm more interested because I've mm-hmm. experienced symptoms and I know how helping getting the right treatment really makes a difference. So if we have like-minded people who are sort of experiencing symptoms, need to help themselves or have got help, they're more likely to help their inpatients and outpatients as well. So it's this whole ripple effect, but it's yeah. really important to get it through the mental health communities, isn't it? A hundred percent. And I was just thinking, because I'm a general adult psychiatry trainee, so I treat anyone between the age of 18 and 65. So I was like, this is really important for me. But actually, when I thought about all the other specialities, forensic psychiatry is really important because we have mm-hmm. patients in that system that are on the wards for three, five, eight years. They're going to be patients that will be going through the menopause whilst they're admitted. That's important. Our learning disability population, they may present with things like aggression or irritability acting out behavior and the first line is always ruling out a physical cause to it and usually things like infection or pain are looked at are we thinking about the menopause or their cycles no we're doing some work actually it hasn't been produced yet but for learning disability amazing and it was triggered actually by a patient who's can't communicate very well like you say her behavior became very erratic just very distressing for everyone Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. couldn't work out the cause but actually she had really bad vaginal dryness so sitting down was incredibly uncomfortable for her she didn't have any urinary tract infections Mm -hmm. so she'd had Mm -hmm. loads of because that's some one of the things obviously that's screened for but she was getting a lot of urgency discomfort everything else and just giving her some localized hormonal treatment you know absolutely transformed her behavior but you can see I was getting very irritable very cross my husband's breathing was annoying me everything was a just I was catastrophizing but I could if I couldn't vocalize you're scared you know it's a horrible feeling when something is changing in your brain and you've got no control so you know women that don't have English as their first language Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. difficult to communicate Mm -hmm. when we take histories through interpreters we know so much gets lost in translation but actually for these women who can't express themselves because they don't know and a culture might not allow them to say what they how they're really feeling it's very difficult then for us as healthcare professionals to make a proper diagnosis often isn't it yeah of course so I just think it's really relevant to every psychiatrist maybe not CAMS that could be the only one I could think of but I've also heard that you had your youngest patient that's seen you as age 14 so there's probably even an indication but there it becomes how are we thinking about hormones and mental health so really at any point we should be thinking about the periods that's starting with that simple question and then seeing where it takes you and just leading with curiosity yeah I think so important those initial questions and um, 
as you know, I'm talking at the Royal College of Psychiatrists as well, um, yes. which I will have done by the time this podcast mm-hmm. comes out. So Exciting. we'll see what happens there. But I feel like yeah. we're the start of a great journey. And, and I'm very, you know, openly thankful to you, Divika, for actually well, listening oh. over your husband's shoulder <laughs> and taking this seriously. And let's see what happens. So it's very exciting. Definitely. So thank you ever so much. And before we end, I'd yes. really like three tips, really, for people who are perimenopausal or menopausal. Mm-hmm. They think that they might or might not need their antidepressant but they've been told that that's all they can have is the antidepressant so it's really what else can they do and how can they start that conversation either with their own GP or with their mental health team because a lot of these people will be under mental health teams so Mm. what can they do and what else in addition to HRT might be useful for them as well. So if I start with the easier things As with menopause, there's medication, but there's also lifestyle changes. Well, the lifestyle changes that I would recommend for the perimenopause and menopause are the same that I would recommend for someone with depression or anxiety. So those are things that you can do without asking any permission. And that's improving your diet, doing your exercise, making sure that you're trying to reduce your stress and getting important sleep and having meaningful connection with people. All those things are going to improve. Then my second thing would be that if you suspect it is perimenopause or menopause, you need to almost go to your appointment as if you're fighting your case. So go with all the data. So if you've tracked your cycles and notice that they're reducing, take that. Track your mood to see how it's kind of playing out with different stages in your cycle if you're still having periods or just coming to the end of them because that's really useful data that we can't ignore if someone presents that to me I'm not going to say it's all in your head or it's just depression it's not linked so really spell it out for that practitioner whether it's your GP or your uh, mental health professional and then the other thing is you aren't always going to find a good match there are going to be some doctors that haven't yet learned about the menopause and perimenopause and that isn't fault of theirs it's the medical education system that isn't yet up to speed with that so then I would just suggest going to see another doctor whether that's asking for another psychiatrist to see or another GP and there's nothing wrong so I think the main thing is just to be strong and make sure that you advocate for yourself because you might be ahead of the education journey for menopause and perimenopause even more than your healthcare professional and that's okay you can put the information so that they can support you if you're not getting the help you need to find someone else yeah so i think that really really important isn't it is that we as patients are our own advocate but yes. we also use others as well and actually know that the first opinion is not always the one that's right for you i'm not saying it's not right because a lot of things are right but if it doesn't feel right and it's not what you expected or if it's your partner or friend and they come out and you think that doesn't then see someone else and i don't think any of us as healthcare professionals i'd never mind if someone one of my patients sees someone else i think it's really important to uh, get what's right for you so that's really great tips and i'm very grateful for your time today and i look forward to maybe you coming back in um maybe a few months years let's see and see how this conversation has changed and I hope it's much more different and we're talking about all the new advances that we've made and the progress Uh, I definitely think that is going to happen we're just starting like you said so thank you Louise for letting me join you on the journey yes so beginning of an exciting journey yes 100% so thanks ever so much and look forward to speaking again thank you for more information about the perimenopause and menopause please visit my website balance-menopause.com or you can download the free Balance app which is available to download from the App Store or from Google Play. Mm